Would you please turn with me your copy of God's Word? This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, and we'll be picking up in verse 21. Uh, Romans 5 and 21, continuing our series in this, this great book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. And the reason why we're in Romans and just trudging through verse by verse, the reason why we're doing this is because it's, it's, it's soaked and saturated in, in doctrine. This doctrine is, is, is what God has put forth for us to understand who he is, understand his character, and not just to stop there, but how do we live this out? How do we authentically live out our faith? What does this look like for us here in 2023 as we read God's word and apply it to our own lives? And as I mentioned there in my prayer, that we go and share this good news with others. What does that look like for you, for us? all together. You know, we live in a strange time. We live in a strange world where um, in today's climate and culture, everything is offensive. You turn on the, the, the television, uh, God forbid you watch any newscast or anything like that, you see somebody that's offended and yelling about something. You go and talk to your friends, and people like to commiserate around things that are not working for them, the things that they're upset about, or the things that they are offended by. And I don't know if it's happening more today, or this thing is, is just happening over the course of time, but it seems like we're, we're constantly getting offended, and because we're offended, then we want to go and redefine words to make it fit us so that we would be less offended. I don't know if that is the case. It seems like we're, we're, we're changing things so rapidly that it just causes more and more offense. And it's gotten so bad that we can't even have regular conversations anymore because we don't even agree what words mean anymore. It's just difficult out here, right? Just to have a conversation. You have a family event. You have people over for dinner. And there's topics that you know you can't bring up because somebody's going to be offended. And somebody's going to say, well, that doesn't mean that to me. It means this to me. And then, you gotta, then you're all confused about, wait a minute, what are you even talking about anymore? We can't even understand each other. Our own Supreme Court justices can't define what a woman is because they are not a biologist. Interesting times we live in with regular words they're, they're used pejoratively or they're used like insults. When you hear the term liberal, some of you might stiffen up a little bit. Or what if I were to say conservative? That, that can be used as, as an insult today. Or what about woke? We're hearing woke a lot these days, and nobody even knows what woke means. But they continue to throw out this word. Or, or how about evangelical? You know, this, this was a term that, that we've used for so long over the course of time in history, but now all of a sudden it's a dirty word and it cuts like a knife until those evangelicals do this or don't do that. But brothers and sisters, it's just as bad in the church. Many of us don't uh, even open our Bible during the services, or you might go to uh, look at or attend another church service, and, and they don't even uh, talk about the scripture. They don't. They don't bring a Bible to the pulpit any anymore. They don't uh, use scripture. Uh, they they would rather cherry pick 
things so as not to offend anyone. Unfortunately, these so-called places of worship either won't talk about sin or have completely redefined sin to allow for the fleshly desires of their congregations. So if you were to watch many of these megachurch preachers on television, you'll notice many or more uh, are like motivational speakers instead of preachers, and they don't like to mention or talk about sin. But when you don't talk about sin, what happens is you don't preach the whole gospel. When you leave out sin and what it is, how it affects us, how it came into the world, when you leave that part out, then you are not talking about the gospel. You are not sharing the whole gospel. So if, if you're here as a guest with us this morning, buckle up your seatbelts because I'm coming in hot. This message might offend you. And this is because I'm just, I'm going to read from the text. I'm going to read about uh, what God has, has said, how he inspired Paul. My job as a pastor is not to make you feel comfortable. My job is not to entertain. And if I tried, I wouldn't be too good at it. God made me a preacher. He made me a person to proclaim his word and just tell you, like the old King James said, what thus saith the Lord. So uh, you can sneak out or something or just, you know, if that's not for you, if you came to get jazzed up and, and have a motivational message so that you can be on high and leave here just feeling good about yourself, today's not the right day. We're going to talk about sin and what that means and what that looks like and why is this important? It's, it's important because Christ's return is imminent. Any day, any moment is going to be Christ's return. We don't have time for messing around and tiptoeing around and trying not to offend folks. You got to know who God is. You got to know what Jesus has done for you, why it matters to you in your life, and live out that faith. We don't have time for, for her feelings. We got a, a job to do, and we need to be about our business to get it done. Each week, I pray that everyone that comes through these doors, they leave transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's my hope and, and, and my goal for everybody that comes here. When you hear the word of the Lord, you can't leave the same way you came in. I want you to hear God's word and, and be so convicted by it that you do what it says. Don't get me wrong. God, God's word is encouraging. It's not all fire and brimstone. I know there's churches like that as well, you know, pounding on a pulpit and everybody's going to hell. I mean, that, yeah, that, that could be true, but there's also encouragement and goodness in God's word. But I want you to also remember both sides of those, the tangents. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's New Testament, folks. People talk about, well, the Old Testament God, he, he was all fire and brimstone, but the New Testament, it's all nice and love and comforting and encouraging. That's, that don't sound encouraging to me. The word of God is like a, a two-edged sword, piercing 
the soul. That's how powerful the word of God is. When you consider God and his law as like a mirror, right? You hold this up and you look into it as if it was a mirror and you can see that we are all broken, that we all fall short. When you consider the law and you hold it up in that way, we all sin. The law shows us that the, 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 we have problems that need fixing. That's the whole point and goal of the law is to show us that we're broken, that we are in need of a Savior. Let me explain it this way. If, if you had spinach in your teeth and you went around friends and you're, you're talking, you're grinning and smiling and all the telling jokes and all the stuff with spinach in your teeth, what if nobody said anything to you? You get home or you get in the car and you, you're fixing the visor and you, you, you looking like, oh my goodness, I got spinach in my teeth. How long has it been there? I had lunch three hours ago. And nobody told me. You would think, nobody cared enough for me. Nobody thought enough about me to tell me I had a problem that needed fixing. What kind of friends are these? I imagine that's, that's what you would think. That's what you would be considering. They, they just let you walk around looking crazy without saying a word to you. What if you went to the doctor and instead of hurting your feelings by telling you you had a severe ailment, what if he just said, oh, you're fine, just go home and take some aspirin? Would that be loving? Would that be a caring thing to do? I mean, because he's trying not to offend you, right? He wants to make sure that you're okay. And so he doesn't want you to go away depressed because he, he wants a good review on his Google profile but instead you have this ailment that needs fixing that he didn't bother to tell you anything about. I don't think that's loving. I don't think that's caring. I don't think that's the way that we want. So in the same way, if we barely, if ever, talk about sin, we are not helping anybody. It's not good if we throw through our sin and don't talk about it. We don't discuss it. People will say, well, if... If you talk about sin, then you're just going to make everybody depressed. They're going to be sad because they're depraved and they're, they're sick and they're broken. They're just going to be trudging along and, and there will be no hope to look forward to. Yes, maybe if that was the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, yeah, there will be some problems. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the cure that people need and the solution that everybody is looking for. The gospel is our cure. That's the hope that we need and that we're looking for. The Bible that you hold in your hands today or have on your devices, it has the answers to show us that we serve a God that wants to make dead people live. Man, that's, that's great news. John 5 and 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Our Heavenly Father wants to make wicked people righteous. He, he says this in, in Matthew 9 and 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to make his enemies his friends. Romans 5 and 10 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And this is why we can say the gospel is good news. Because our sin burden, these actions that we do is not the end of the story. We have somebody that loves us in an unimaginable way that he has paid the price for us on our behalf. So in our text this morning, Paul reminds us that sin entered the world through the first person who was Adam and continues just to infest the human race. But all the blame doesn't go to Adam, right? We, we would like to. And we even see that in, in, in the, the Genesis account, how, how Adam and Eve wanted to blame each other. So now, 2,000 plus years later, we just want to blame Adam. It's all his fault. Even though he, he really didn't have to eat the forbidden fruit. He didn't have to do that. I mean, God was very clear. Hey, just don't eat from that tree. He didn't have to. But the reality is that if he didn't do it, one of us would have. One of us would have been the downfall of all of humanity. Paul reiterates that we all have, have sinned. And, you know, I bear the responsibility for my sin, and you bear the responsibility for yours. That's why it's important that we understand our place here and that we bear responsibility and we ask for forgiveness, this forgiveness which is available. Look with me in verse 12 of chapter 5 in the book of Romans 5 and 12. Uh, here you would notice, starts with one of my favorite words, therefore. What do we do when we see therefore? What is therefore, therefore? I want you to get this because we read so fast through the scripture that I don't think we really understand and dive into what it's trying to tell us and how it is what we should understand it. So when you're reading on your own and you see, therefore, I want this to ring in your head. Wait a minute. What is therefore, therefore? So Paul, what he's doing for us is he's, he's picking up with what he just talked about in the previous verses just ahead in verses 1 through 11, where he explains how we as believers can have peace with God through Christ. And he also describes how God has reconciled believers through Christ, right? So we want to understand and review. If you don't remember what he said before, therefore, it's like, hey, remember, remember what I just said earlier because I'm now about to expand on it. So when you're reading and you see, therefore, if you, that doesn't click for you, like, well, maybe I should go back and read this again so I can understand what comes after. Romans 12, 5 and 12, starting, uh, Romans 5, starting in verse 12 through 14, says, therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, and, sin, and so death spread all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So now Paul here, he wants us to understand the problem of sin, and he wants us to get that it leads to death. So we are alienated from, from God because of sin, and this is why we need 
reconciliation. We go against God and his law and his will, and that separates us from God. It alienates us so that we cannot have a, a communion with him. We don't reside with him. We don't live with him. So what Adam's fall introduces when he sins, he introduces death into the world, and we call that original sin. When you read through Genesis 3, you might wonder, like, I mean, what's the big deal? Why, is, why do we always talk about this, this original sin and, 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 and uh, Adam and Eve eating the fruit? It doesn't say it was an apple, by the way. I don't know if you, you talk about reading slowly through the Scripture. We typically see Adam and Eve and these depicted as eating an apple. It just says a fruit, so just a sidebar. But, but you might be thinking about, so why does anybody care? Why does this matter? They just wanted to eat some of the tasty fruit from the garden. Like, why withhold this? Why, why this big punishment over all this? It's simply because this act was more than just breaking a minor little rule. By eating of the fruit that God had commanded them not to, it was an act of betrayal. By taking of the fruit, it was an act of idolatry. It was a failure to love God like he loved us. It was a failure to trust that God had their, their best uh, wishes in, in his mind for them. It was an act where Adam and Eve put themselves in the place of God instead of obeying his command. This was major. This was serious. They put themselves in the place of God and they thought they knew better. They listened to the serpent who, who twisted things around and tried to get them to think differently instead of remembering and listening to what God said. The evil one says, oh, well, he just doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. Then they pride welled up. Well, how come I can't be as smart? How come I can't do all the things? How, how come I can't have all this knowledge? Why is he withholding from me? He, does, he just doesn't want me to be my best self. Instead of listening and understanding what God is saying and doing, this was a major offense. And, and today in this world, uh, we promote this lie that sin is a big, isn't a big deal. And we want you to think back in, in Genesis, like, well, no, I mean, this is a fictitious story. It's just made up. They just want to continue to hold you down. But that's not the case. As we continue to redefine words, they, people want to uh, soften the impact as we're having these conversations, not only just changing the connotation of the denotation of the words, but also having a softer impact so it doesn't seem as bad as it really is. They want to talk about a fetus instead of a baby. They want to talk about uh, sexual assault instead of rape. They want to talk about a, a fib or a white lie instead of a bold-faced lie. They want to talk about trafficking instead of slavery. We want to soften the blow when we talk about sin, to make it seem as if it's not as bad. But brothers and sisters, sin is sin. And you got to call it that. It is not okay to soften the blow because softening the blow would just make you happier going to hell. 
I want you to be sober-minded and understand what it is, what we're doing, and, and what God has called us to do so that you would be able to spend forever and eternity with him. It doesn't help for us to hide it. Sin is sin. Thanks, Adam. For messing it up for all of us. <laughs> sin entered through Adam, and death enters through sin. And then death spreads to all humans because all have sinned. And we not only sin like Adam, but uh, because we, 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 we are in Adam, we also sin in Adam. Earlier, Paul says Romans in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, as good as you may be, as much as I love you and like you, you are a sinner as well. You also fall short. God created Adam to rule over the world for God and subdue the creation, but instead he chose to sin. And because of that, he was separated from God and and became corrupt and brought death on so that um, we all experience, everybody who had come after experienced the, the same thing. What happens is, because Adam is sin, what he, what he actually does is, is, is deposit this sin into our account. Because he set the standard for us, he set the stage, and we continue to sin. He deposited that in, into our account so that like we're born with it. Christ, on the other hand, he uh, credits our account with his righteousness. He, he credits our account with his life. You see the dichotomy there? The first Adam comes and, and deposits bad stuff, and, and the second Adam comes and deposits everything that could be good. That, that more than counteracts everything that Adam did. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. Because without the second Adam, without Christ, then, then we would have to pay. The, the wages of, of sin is death of all of us. Oh, we're just racking up our account day by day, moment by moment. And without Christ, there's nothing that we could do about it. Look with me in verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of his grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. Paul here is diving deeper and He's going to continue this contrast of what we see with Adam versus what we see with Christ. And as he here he's tra- contrasting the, the trespass that, that Adam did and created versus Christ's free gift. While Adam uh, gave us both life and death, what we see from Jesus is he just gives us all life. Adam's contribution to humanity was negative. Many died both physically and spiritually. But on the other hand, Christ's contribution was far more positive, the ultimate positivity. Through him, we have this, this free gift of grace. Adam's transgression was fatal, but Christ's gift was not only life-giving, but life-changing. That's how incredible this gift from Christ is. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Christ, you've already won against sin and death because you have the grace that Christ has given to you. That's good news. 
that should be encouraging. That should be your, your motivational message to take with you today. In verse 16, this free gift is not like the result of that of one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Here again, we have a contrast of Adam and Christ. Adam here brings condemnation. Christ brings justification. So we hear a lot of people these days talk about identity, how they identify. Fundamentally, there's only two ways that you can identify. We either identify with Adam or we identify with Christ. Those are the two ways we can logically identify. Every person you meet is either in Adam or they're in Christ, and these differences have an eternal consequence. Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You can't be in Adam and be in Christ at the same time. Once you submit your life to Christ, you are a new creation. The, the, the things you used to do, the, the ways you used to identify yourself, that's, that no longer exists. That, that is no longer there. The old has passed away and the new has come. That is what it's like when we follow Christ. But what exactly does that mean? When you have this identity in Christ, what does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? It means you, you no longer build your life on performance or popularity or, or power. You have no need or use for those things. You understand that your identity in Christ means that you are justified before God. You're reconciled and adopted into his family. You, you have this knowing that this reality and walking in this new identity makes you conform to the image of Christ and you steadily become more like him. Verse 17 describes also the contrast between death and life. Let's look there in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So if you're on Team Adam, if you're on Team Adam, there's this condemnation and you, the reign of death is there for you. That's what you have to look forward to, death forever. But if you're on team Jesus, if you're on team Christ, you have the reign of life and not just life we experience right here and right now, but you have a life that you will live and, and you will reign with Christ forever. That's good news. Please note that this is only for those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. It's not automatic. You, you don't, you, you can't to get, get this passed down uh, through your family lineage. It doesn't work that way. And because a grandmama believed, it doesn't mean that you're good too. You, you got to believe for yourself. You got to submit your own life to him. The only way to be on team Jesus is if you receive him. Look with me in verse 18. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Here, Paul continues his contrast between Adam and Christ. So here he's contrasting the, the disobedience of Adam versus the obedience of Christ. I like how Tim Keller explains this in his commentary. He does a much better job than I can. And he says this. He says, Jesus' achievement was not simply to remove the penalty for our disobedience. Wonderful though that is, it was to obey for us as our representative head throughout his life and supremely in his death. While Adam was told he would enjoy blessing if he obeyed God, and yet he chose to disobey, the second Adam knew he would face agony and death if he obeyed. Yet he resolutely walked in obedience to his father. When we read of Jesus' continual loving obedience in the gospel, it is a matter of life and death to us because that obedience is our obedience. If we are in Christ instead of Adam. What a gift that is. What an encouragement that should be for us. People like to often ask, well, why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen? From a Christian perspective, the answer is because we live in a fallen, sinful world. That's the matter of fact. And that answer is probably not good enough for most people who don't believe. But that's a simple matter. The next question is, well, well what, do you, what do we do about it? Again, as Christians, the single solitary answer is, you got to know Jesus. People don't like that answer either. People, people get offended by answers like that. Well, you think you got the corner market on this religion? You think Jesus is the only way? Yeah, that's what the book says. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. He said it. I mean, you get mad at him. I'm just delivering the message. Jesus is the hope of the whole wide world world. This is our job. This is our goal. We have the best message ever proclaimed. And when you got something good, you, want, you just can't wait to sell, tell somebody, right? How can we hold this message to ourselves? How can we keep it and, and withhold it from people who need to hear it, who, who are looking for hope, who, who are trying to fill this, this God-sized hole that they have? They're, they're trying to fill it with all these different things, and you got the answer. God puts you in their lives so you might share the good news with them. That you might proclaim, proclaim how good God is and how they can have hope in this desperate world. 1 Corinthians 15 and 45 says, Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is, uh, is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of man of heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is where our hope lies. We try to do so much in this world, and some of it's important, right? To take care of your family, have a, have a good job, education, and, and all that kind of stuff. But don't let that distract you from the, the, the thing that is vitally important, and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then going and spreading that good news. Let's not get distracted from that. Believers who bear the image of Adam will one day be transformed into the image of Christ. You take off the old and you put on the new. And as we do that, as we follow Christ, we'll be more like him. We will have resurrected, glorified bodies one day. And for, for you and me, as bad as this life is, that's as bad as it will ever be. Because we will get to a place where soon there will be no more suffering and we will reign with the king. I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. That I'll get to reign with the king? Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Or even the simple fact that that, that, that when we uh, submit our lives to Christ, that, that, that we are born again, then we're infused with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That's something Adam didn't get. Moses didn't get that. David didn't get that. The Holy Spirit, man, resides in his people. An amazing shaping us, molding us, guiding us. Like, what more could you ask for? That the God of the universe would speak through you and use your hands, use your feet. <laughs> that is amazing. But most of us want to quench the spirit and sit on our hands and, and not do it like, oh, I, I probably should talk to that person. I probably should lift my hands. I probably should sing out. I should, I should probably do all this, but I don't know what my neighbor is going to say. They might not like the way I sing. I might be distracted and putting my hands in the air. What are they going to say to me when I try to, to share the good news with my coworker? They might look at me different. But that's only momentary. You've got to have your mind on what's eternal and what God is going to do through your life and how you get to spend time with him. You get to be with him forever. You get to be with the king. I don't care what nobody says about me. I'm, I'm doing this for my father. You can look at me any kind of way you want to. I'm about my father's business. You can say what you want. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to sing out. Because this is pleasing to my father who is in heaven. Lastly, let's look at the, the closing verses of chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember, the law is a mirror that shows us that we are in need of a Savior, that shows us that we're, 
we're broken. It shows us that we have problems that need to be fixed. The, the law doesn't bring any relief. It, the, the law does not solve our, our sin problem. The solution is the grace and righteousness that we receive through, through Jesus Christ. I started talking uh, early on about sin and how messed up and, and fallen that we are. Uh, nobody snuck out, so thanks, thanks for sitting sitting through to hear how broken and, and, and depraved you are so that we can get to and understand the good news and what that looks like. Because there is good news. It's essential for all believers to grow in and understand and appreciate the magnificent grace of God. This is vitally important for us. Titus 2 and 11 says this, for grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the, the glory of our great God and, and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That's good news. In a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And I love being able to do this because it's a reminder for us what Jesus Christ did. It's a reminder for us of the grace that was given the righteousness that was his and, 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 and he credits to our account. And as lovely as you are, none of us deserve it. None of us can earn it. None of us can try harder to get into his good graces. It was all a free gift given. Second Peter 3 and 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the provision that you have given to us. Thanks for helping us be able to look at and absorb these hard things. I'm afraid that we just don't take the time these days just to slow down and really realize uh, where we are and what we're doing and how it affects our own lives, how it affects the lives of others. But Father, thank you for this time that we were able to come together and hear you speak to us through your word so that we can know and understand and, and come face to face with our own sin, our own transgressions. And Father, I I hope that everybody here under the sound of my voice, both physically and virtually, would, would, would come to you and ask for forgiveness for the sin in their own lives, that they would be able to name it uh, very clearly how it is that they've transgressed against your law, how they have offended you. They would come to you and ask for forgiveness, knowing that even that is freely available, that you are here to hear each and every one of us. And as we ask for forgiveness, that you would help us to, to turn away from those things.
that you will put us back on the, the straight path so that we might be able to, to serve you and be a walking, talking testimony of who you are and what you've done for us in our lives. Father, we ask for the courage that it takes for us to love one another in this very congregation, that we would love each other like the love that you've given to each and every one of us, and that we will go outside and spread that love to others as well, that we would love them so much that we would tell them the truth, that they are a sinner in need of grace, in need of a Savior, that we will be able to proclaim without stuttering the name of Jesus, that we will go out and just be clear and and walking with them on their journey as they get to know you. So, Father, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.